G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. As you know, there is a push for the legislation of homosexual marriage in Australia. Well, politicians are making statements about their position. Many are swayed by clever marketing from the homosexual side of the debate. Churches and ministers have declared their positions and made a biblical case for marriage between a man and a woman and the protections that are afforded to children from that union, as well as the case for what's known as a natural marriage, natural biological marriage. Well, homosexual activists have been lobbying key electorates, also businesses, councils, schools and universities to support their campaign. The likelihood is a cross-party bill is being organised by Liberal Warren Ench and Labor's Terry Butler. That's expected to be introduced into Parliament next week on Monday, that's the 10th of August. Christian leaders have substance for their argument for maintaining marriage as it stands, but their message has been not widely reported in the mainstream media. Well, today let's get into the second of three consecutive conversations talking with Christian denominational leaders or their most senior delegated spokespeople. Uh, Today, to introduce three other denominations, yesterday we heard from the Catholic Church and from the Presbyterian Church. Today, uh, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest, who's Anglican spokesperson, uh, delegated from the office of the Anglican Primate. Gordon serves as chair and executive officer of the Melbourne Anglican Diocese Social Responsibilities Committee. He's also the editor of two books on homosexuality. Gordon Priest, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Uh, also, Alistair McRae. Alistair is a former president of the National Assembly of the Uniting Church in Australia. Alistair, welcome along. Good morning, Neil. And to Pastor Ian Miller, who is a member of the National Executive of CRC Churches International and also the Director of Evangelism for CRC Churches. Ian Miller, welcome along. Uh, good to talk to you, Neil. Well, a significant time to talk to church leaders. It is the week before this cross-party bill is likely to be uh, tabled in the federal parliament. Let me ask you, gentlemen, and uh, first of all, uh, let's go to the Anglican Church. Uh, Gordon Priest, is the Anglican Church, uh, does it have a a formal policy on marriage? Uh, Its it's formal policy is um, stated recently by the primate in um, Philip Freer, in his letter to the Prime Minister, basically says that um, yeah, we believe marriage is between a male and a male and a female, um, and um, and according to the kind of services that we use, etc., um, it's meant to be lifelong, exclusive, etc. Um, those are the kinds of, of marks of, of what marriage is, um, according to the Anglican Church. Uh, Pastor Ian Miller, the CRC Churches International, do you guys have a formal position, a a policy document on marriage? Uh, It probably goes deeper for us than a policy document. 
Um, we've actually got our statements on marriage worked into our constitution um, and uh, in which we're quite unequivocal as to what we understand the biblical model of mar marriage to be. Um, lifelong, monogamous, legally performed between a man and a woman, um, going on to talk about there being constant love, continual care, mutual respect, godly order, submission and sexual intimacy and for that providing the context within uh, children can be born and raised in that atmosphere of loving care, godly training and discipline. Um, we're currently in our next uh, uh, council meeting going to be uh, putting in a statement of inclusion just uh, so that it's understood that we uh, love and, and accept people of all uh, parts of society, though remaining unequivocal as to what our stance on marriage is. And Alistair McRae, uh, former president of the National Assembly of the Uniting Church and representing the new president, Stuart McMillan. Uh, Alistair, is there a formal position from the Uniting Church on marriage? Yeah, there is. It'll be... Um be very similar to what what we've heard from um, Gordon and Ian. Yeah, the traditional understanding, and that that's expressed in our marriage rights. And uh, as you know, we're, our ministers are only authorised uh, as state celebrants if we use the rights of our of our church. So, uh, yeah, it's between a man and a woman for life. Um, fidelity and so on uh, but it would be fair to say that uh, with the current um, public debate that, that that's also a discussion that's very much alive within our church about whether the definition of marriage can be broadened uh, to include people of same gender if I direct a, a, a ask for a response uh, from Gordon Priest representing the Anglican Church, uh, Gordon, is there a similar sort of uh, debate that goes on within Anglican circles as is happening in the Uniting Church circles? There'd be um, yeah various views amongst Anglicans, and um, occasionally things can surface in sort of synod debates, which that's like our Parliament, and uh, we have those at state level. And uh, and also there's a national synod that meets every two or three years, um, but um, but in terms of the the bishops, because we have episcopal government, um, the bishops have have clearly made this the, and backed up the statement about marriage between a male and a female. So there's there's no real movement at the at the level of the leadership of the church um, in terms of the, the bishops. There's there's always room for discussion. Uh, people can raise um, matters on the on the floor of synod, etc. And uh, there's liberty to discuss those issues and, and talk them through, um, but uh, at the moment this doesn't uh, doesn't appear to be a, a, a strong kind of push to change any of the official um, positions of the church. Um, there's certainly there's certainly plenty of discussion though about how to be welcoming and hospitable to homosexual people, and I think that's that's an ongoing process about um, in our in our social context where if you do say that you believe um, marriage is exclusively between a male and, and female. You can be accused of being homophobic, etc. Um, and it's it's quite a tricky kind of line to tread to how to uphold uh, what we believe the Bible's saying and 
still um, be open and, and welcoming, as, as Ian was saying, and being in, inclusive um, towards homosexual people. And before we move on, just to come back to Pastor Ian Miller, the idea of putting your marriage position fairly and squarely in your church constitution, that really does reinforce that you've searched through those issues and that research has really become a part of who you are as a movement. Um, Yeah, look, and I think it would be fair to say on behalf of the whole movement that there really is no... Uh, discussion amongst us uh, as to the rightness or wrongness of, of, of that particular uh, statement. We're, we're, we're quite unequivocal. Um, for us, any discussion is probably more on a pastoral level um, as to uh, how, how do we approach and uh, engage with people who have same-sex attraction. Um, and so for us, it's probably more of a pastoral issue than a governmental one. Um, and certainly uh, when it comes just down to the fundamentals of marriage, and um, that's really, there's good unity right across the board there. Let's move on. Why is it important to affirm and defend this traditional, and uh, we've been talking about a, a biblical even, definition of marriage? Uh, Alistair McRae from the Uniting Church this is sometimes, I guess, a ticklish area when you have got debates that go on. But I guess there is, from your point of view, a necessity to defend that biblical definition. Well, no, I'd say that we're we're in a period of of uh, of discernment on this. Uh, I think that there's there's a number of issues that come into uh, theological discernment and uh, scripture is primary in in our tradition in that but there are also factors like uh, uh, new knowledge human experience and uh, and the received tradition you know it's uh, it's called the Wesleyan quadrilateral and uh, whenever we have theological discernment we we bring all of these factors in so for example uh, I think it's it's widely accepted now that um, you know, people people uh, can be uh, same-sex attracted. Uh, that that that's their sort of natural uh, state, and that was an assumption probably not held by uh, the biblical writers. So that that's a new factor to uh, to put into the equation. So if somebody is constitutionally uh, same-sex attracted, and they wish to uh, have the blessing of God on a faithful, monogamous, lifelong relationship, uh, that that's the question that's before us. So, uh, yeah, the, the, the Bible is our, our primary source, but we also bring in these other factors. Gordon Priest, representing the Anglican Church, uh, when it comes to defending a traditional and biblical definition of marriage, and uh, just noting, as I mentioned earlier, you're also the author of two books about homosexuality. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the importance of affirming and defending that traditional view? I think it's very important. I, I think um, marriage is between a male and female, I think, is the the difference that makes marriage, um, uh, the male and female maleness of it, um, is a fundamental difference for all other forms of social difference, I think, in our society. So if we're to 
really um, be open um, and welcoming to the differences within society, we've really got to start at that place, the male-female difference, which is fundamental to forming, forming families and a whole range of other sort of social relationships. And I, and I guess I say that as, as, like, I was the first male on the first movement for the Ordination of Women um, Committee, and that was in um, Sydney Anglican circles, hence I'm in Melbourne now. <laughs> Because um, um, that kind of um, put me in a very difficult position um, there. But for me, um, that doesn't automatically kind of flow over to things like practicing homosexual ordination or, or gay marriage. I think there's a fundamental form of sexual ecology um, that Scripture describes in, in Genesis. And... Um, I think actually, in, in response to Alistair, and Alistair and I have to, um, sort of debated and dialogued about this in the in the past, face to face to face. And um, I guess um, my view would be that when Scripture talks about the natural, say in Romans one, Paul talks about it in the context of the whole of creation. He doesn't talk about it, you know, just in terms of what feels natural to me. Now, now I understand for for many homosexual people, it feels like they've, um, you know, just right from the very early days that um, they feel um, that's what they remember being and and they've known known nothing else um, but I think um, I think that's a, that's a different perspective we really need to look at that pastorally etc um, and understand it trying to understand that that situation but I think there's different to the kind of statements in scripture and I think scripture was actually um, aware. There's a wide range of homosexual practice in the ancient world. Some was exploitative, but um, some was um, relatively loving. And we see accounts in Greek society and people seem to have a sense that some, some um, were kind of orientated that way from a very, very early age. And that that was the way they were, um, they seem to have been either, either born or in, environmentally, um, that that was um, basically who they um, yeah, who they, were, they came to be. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Hearing from the most senior spokespeople from the denominations of Australian Christian churches uh, talking about the issue of marriage this hour. We were talking yesterday with the Catholic Church and with the Presbyterian Church. Tomorrow we'll hear from the Baptist Church and the Australian Christian Churches. Today we're hearing from the Anglican Church, the Uniting Church in Australia and the CRC Churches International. Our guests, Gordon Priest, Alistair McRae and Ian Miller. If I draw your attention to a letter that was sent to the Prime Minister about a month ago, it's an open letter calling on him to hold firm against pressure to change his positions. Uh, and uh, are there? Uh, let's talk about uh, that letter briefly for a moment, because uh, because not all of the most senior leaders in every denomination signed that letter, although it was signed very substantially across the board on denominations. Uh, if I come to you first, uh, Ian Miller, uh, the CRC churches a signatory to that letter. Yes. Yep. Yep. I looked through the list of it uh, myself. Actually, it might be helpful if your readers uh, just go online and Google uh, open letter to Prime Minister Tony Abbott from leaders uh, uh, in yes. Australia, and um, they'd actually be able to call up that letter. 
That's right. You'd be able to just simply Google the open letter to the Prime Minister from church leaders in Australia. Yes. Uh, Alistair McRae, uh, the Uniting Church was not a signatory to the letter because, as you say, there is ongoing discussion and debate that's going on within the Uniting Church. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I actually wasn't aware of the uh, the letter at all until you invited me onto this program. So... Um, but I, I, I imagine the reason that our president didn't sign it was precisely because we're um, we're doing the deep theological discernment on on the issue ourselves at the moment. And Gordon Priest, uh, there are Anglican signatories to the letter, but the primate uh, withheld his signature from it. Well, I'm I'm not sure whether he withheld it or whether it was uh, simply circumstantial, because I know he was overseas at the time. So I'm, I'm not sure about the actual facts um, in terms of that. Um, I know that uh, Glenn Davies, the Archbishop of Sydney, Anglican Archbishop, um, that he signed it. Um, so there are some Anglicans signed on and not others. I don't think everyone was approached, um, as far as I know, um, about the process, about how that was um, how that was gone about. Like, I think it was, you know, had to be done in a hurry, so like these things. Um, so... I don't know what that means in re- in re- relationship to the to the primate. I know he has written to the prime minister himself, um, and that was earlier. And he he stated our position of um, of marriage between being between a male and a female, etc. That uh, we're not to be we're not to be homophobic and uh, concerns about religious liberty for clergy and others in that in that letter. Um, and I've since kind of followed that up and um, on occasions when I've been filling in for him. Interestingly, the open letter was also signed by other religions. So there are signatories there that come from uh, people from Islamic faith and others. It's not just Christian church leaders. And as I recall the letter, its thrust was primarily about this idea of a natural marriage between a man and a woman without so much relying on biblical foundations because there are these various arguments. As Christians, we talk about a biblical foundation for marriage, but without a biblical foundation, of course, there is still the argument from natural marriage, the biological mother and father of children and for the protection of children there. Just interested in either of you who'd like to respond on the idea of the erosion of what we'd call a child-centred view of marriage, because children are often left out of the debate. Uh, would either of you gentlemen like to uh, comment on, on, on the idea of a child-centred view of marriage? Well, that, that, that's one perspective, but um, I've been a minister for 35 years and I've, I've conducted a lot of marriages um, that, that the couple have either no intention or no capacity uh, to bear children, so I, I think there is a shift uh, in our understanding of marriage that it's that that it's not just about uh, produ- producing children or even primarily that, uh, but it's about uh, a loving, faithful, monogamous uh, relationship between between two people. So. I think, if I could just interrupt there, though, um, Ian? I think the letter is um, arguing a position that um, really the only cause for the state 
to take part in, in governance of relationships is uh, because of um, uh, um, you've got innocence involved in it. So because uh, in, in, the, in the union of two people together, then you do have uh, the potential for children um, that someone needs to make sure that there's good governance and leadership uh, provided in there for just for the well-being of those future children. And uh, so my understanding of the letter is that um, it's really not focused on per se uh, the union of two people so much as uh, the outcome and consequence of that union. Um, and so if it was just between uh, two people who are going to uh, cohabit and have a sexual relationship um, and in such a way that there would be no, uh, no potential for, for offspring, that, that really is outside of the purview of, of, uh, of, of government. That's how I understood the letter to be. Uh, we've heard from Ian and uh, Alistair. Did you want to contribute there, Gordon? Yes, I think um, one of the important area, um, issues about children is that that makes it different to a standard um, consenting adults issue and uh, where you say, well, as long as there's no harm, then that's all right. Um, and, and hence, you know, we, we don't, uh, for instance, legislate against adultery, for instance. Um, and um, now that's, we would still regard that as a sin, but um, it's not a crime. Um, now, in our, um, our society, the state, really, I think the position of the, the state has a role to regulate marriage, but I don't think it has a role in defining marriage. Um, there are lots of other institutions, and in fact, marriage is an institution that, although it's changed in some ways over time, I think the core aspects of marriage have stayed relatively the, the same um, for at least, at least a couple of thousand years. And the... Um, so marriage is something that really pre-exists the state. So I actually find this quite a statist kind of thing. I think it's an... In, if, um, if states redefine marriage, I find that a very worrying trend in our society in terms of uh, the growth of the state. And I frankly don't think the, the state um, has a role in the bedrooms of people in relationship to that. I think um, there are all sorts of UN... Um, children's conventions, etc., that also safeguard the rights of children to know the, their biological parents. And so we, we haven't really talked through yet um, some of the implications for same-sex marriage in relationship to, to surrogacy. Um, Australia doesn't have commercial surrogacy at the moment, but I'm sure there will be, a, be more of a push for that um, in order to enable same-sex couples to be able to um, to have children in in some cases where they where they choose to do so, um, and we need to have a, a real discussion about that because I think there are there are a range of um, issues about the commodification of children. Um, there are all sorts of problems we've already seen in relationship to in India and other in Thailand with regard to cases of surrogacy. So it's not just a case of um, of adults. In fact, I think in many ways this is an indication that we've become quite adultist as a society.
It's Neil with you. 2020, hearing from leaders of Australian Christian denominations talking through the issue of marriage. Our special guests this hour, Gordon Priest from the Anglican Church, Alistair McRae, former president of the National Assembly of the Uniting Church in Australia, and Pastor Ian Miller, a member of the National Executive of CRC Churches International. Uh, gentlemen, let's take some calls from listeners. Let's hear from John in Sydney. Uh, John, welcome along to 2020. Have we got you, John? John, are you with us? Uh, we'll, John, you might like to try and call us back. Let's hear from Helen in Cairns in North Queensland. Helen, welcome along to 2020. How are you? Very good, Helen. What are your thoughts? Or do you have a question for well, our church yes, leaders? My thoughts are um, mainly directed towards some comments that Alastair has made. And I want to say at the outset that I have a lot of compassion for homosexuals. Um, let anybody who's without sin cast the first stone at them. That's what I say. But we're talking about church teaching here, and we're talking about the witness that the church has in these days. And Alistair was talking about the church possibly being able to bless homosexual relationships if they were monogamous, etc. I would like to know whether he thinks that um, sodomy is a sin, whether the, the Bible is the same yesterday, today and forever, and it's forever settled in heaven. So I don't think it's any different to what it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah as it is today. And I fail to see how God can bless a relationship that is based on sodomy. And okay, I'll Helen, let's, uh, let's hear from Alistair McRae. Uh, Alistair, you've heard that? Alistair. Well, I, I, I think uh, most churches would uh, would actually have a more carefully nuanced view of of uh of scripture if if we took took that uh, absolutely literal approach then churches would be uh advocating that uh homosexuals be put to death so i i don't think any church in australia takes that that literal literal view anymore so uh i think we have a, a much better understanding that some people uh are Gay, lesbian, same-sex attracted—that's uh, just the way the way they are. So, so to describe that as uh, as inherently sinful uh, is is not—it's neither pastoral nor helpful nor accurate, I believe. Uh, thank you so much to Helen from Cairns for your input today here on 2020. Uh, just to open that to, to Gordon and to Ian. Uh, do you have uh, some uh, constructive thought to add to anything said? I've probably already expressed my, my view about um, yeah, awareness that there were people who were, if you like, in, in some way constitutionally homosexual back in the ancient world, and Scripture was, was well aware of that at the time. Um, so um, I think um, I'm not sure we can get out of it quite quite that easily. Well, Leviticus think, does does talk about stoning to death, Gordon. What 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 do you do with that? Um, basically, it was part of the civil law, and I think um, it's quite clear in the New Testament that Jesus, for instance, um, basically abolishes the civil law in relationship to adultery, for instance, with the woman caught in adultery. Um, and and Paul and others don't. They they seem to affirm the moral law. You see that say in the end of Romans thirteen. Um, basically, it it um, while that while it was a package deal in in Old Testament Israel as a way of distinguishing them from the from the Gentiles. Um, in the New Testament, with Jesus and with the opening up of things to the Gentiles, I think um, what they do is they have a kind of discernment process, and they decide a bit like. 
in going back to talking about natural marriage, um, the, when allowing the Gentiles in, they basically talk about certain things that are, that are still forbidden, um, that are regarded as... Um, the, the rabbis had certain uh, laws that were regarded, regarded as the Noahide laws that go back to the time of Noah. So this is before Israel itself. These are things that apply naturally um, to the Gentiles. And one of those was porneia. And porneia, um, it's often wrongly translated adultery, but it's basically any, any form of sex outside marriage. And that was made um, one of the basic conditions of the Gentiles coming into the, into the church. Um, now I know um, there are other. I've got friends who disagree with me on on that, but I think that's the one that holds up most in in terms of the interpretation of how the law is kind of used in the in scripture. And uh, Pastor Ian Miller, did you have a quick comment to add? Uh, look, prob- probably not a huge comment on that one. Um, uh, across the Christian spectrum, I think we all acknowledge that we. Uh, do have some um, differences in what we see as our fundamentals of uh, determining uh, faith and practice, um, you know, and tradition holds more strongly in one stream of, of Christianity than others, uh, you know, so as, as our denomination, um, uh, we just hold a very simple approach that um, we, we only basically engage with uh, the scripture, I mean, particularly the words of Jesus, and so we let him define uh, uh, matters of faith and practice. Uh, but we have a very open view towards other Christians. I don't think it's particularly helpful uh, to have open debates with other uh, other Christians about, you know, how what, what their fundamental uh, view of the Bible and, and faith is. I, I think there's too much common ground that we can. Uh, get together on and see eye to eye on and, and engage in uh, reaching out to our community with. We are taking calls 1-800-316-316. If you have a question or a comment for our church leaders today, Gordon Priest from the Anglican Church, Alistair McRae, Uniting Church Australia and Ian Miller, a member of the National Executive of CRC Churches International, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Caroline in Byron Bay in New South Wales. Hello, Caroline. Welcome along. Oh, hi. Thank you. Uh, yeah, look, I, I just want to start um, by quoting a scripture, actually, John eight thirty one and 32, which states, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, I'm, I'm actually astounded to hear three Christian leaders in our country um, discussing and putting out a message that is not clear and in line with biblical teaching about the constitution of marriage. I'm really disappointed um, to hear a confusing message coming from the top down and it, it is understandable why Christians are not uniting on such an important issue which is the foundation of our society and is very clearly defined biblically and there's no deception around that there's no discussion around that god is very clear in what constitutes marriage and i think a watering down of that policy and christians not knowing where we stand on that is very sad 
it's very deceptive. Okay, Carolyn, and, um, let's hear from these leaders, and, uh, and we will come to you first, uh, Alistair McRae. Uh, the thought of uh, being a little disunified, and I must just add that uh, as we talked about the official policies of each of the denominations at the start of our conversation, uh, every one of our churches today represented does actually support marriage between one man and one woman. But Alistair McRae, on some of the thoughts that were being shared there from Caroline in well, Byron Bay. So, well, yeah, it wasn't really a question, it was a, a statement, but at, as you say, the Uniting Church uh, position on marriage is the received uh, position, which would be like like the other positions described. But uh, from time to time, uh, we, when new issues arise, we that the type of church we are, we we uh, say, let's have a look at this, let's uh, examine the biblical witness, let's uh, learn the best contemporary knowledge, let's take the experience of our members uh, into the conversation, and we we uh, go deeply uh, into whatever the issue is. That The last time we had uh, a big investigation into this, into related matters, was the whole question of divorce and remarriage. Now, some churches uh, don't accept that uh, that people can divorce and remarry. Uh, that was a that was a huge investigation for us, and we eventually decided that that the gospel was best uh, served if, in in certain circumstances, uh, we the church would recognise the end of a marriage and permit people to remarry. Now, you could say that that's not biblical um, if you look at the biblical witness uh, there's a strong uh, the council is largely against against divorce but a number of churches uh, have have shifted their position on that thank you so much to Carolyn from Byron Bay for your contribution today here on 2020 let's continue to take some calls Kate is in Wangaratta in Victoria hello Kate welcome along to 2020 thank you Kate, what are your thoughts? Oh, just a couple of, of thoughts. First, first up, I don't agree in homophobia. I think it would be terrible that anyone would be bashed because of a choice that they make in their way of living. But it seems to have come around now that anyone with an opposite opinion to a homosexual lifestyle is then classed as homophobic, and I disagree with that at all as well. A question I'd like to um, ask. Uh, someone said before that um, people are born like um, that, having a homophobic um, way of choice with relationships. Um, I also agree. I also disagree with that. I think that is something that we have been sold as a lie. Another thing um if we do change marriage in years to come, whether it's 10, 25 years, whenever it happens, uh, will this mean that in years to come, people that are born um, with a drawing to children to have sex with children, will that then be classed as okay because they were born like that? And just one last comment. Uh, yeah, Kate, um, we need to be very quick. Last, last comment. All right, last comment. Two eggs will never make a baby. Two sperm will never make a baby. Jesus didn't make us asexual. He gave us 
man and woman to create children. And I just think marriage is between a man and woman. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for your input there. And uh, and I won't get a comment from leaders on that. Just uh, save that if you do have a thought. Let's uh, take some more calls. Let's hear from John in Coburg in Victoria. Hello, John. Welcome along. Hello, Mr. Neil. How are you? Very well. John, very quick, please. Quick. I was just going to say, obviously, it's obvious as the times as the West becomes less Christian, they're going to push away more from the biblical truths. They're going to believe the lies, the deceits, the devil whispers in the ears. And they're listening to it. They haven't got a sound foundation in, in the Bible and in truth and the Holy Spirit. And they're just led astray by the demons and the devil. And that's the world we're going to be living in in the West as we get darker and darker until one day the light might shine again. But okay. we're going to get darker. It's, it's obvious. Homosexuality is just a start to the baby being born to what's coming to the West. John, Thank you very much. thanks so much for your input today. Let's uh, take another call. Billy Jean is in White Mountain near Brisbane. Hello, Billy Jean. Hi, how are you going? Good, Billy Jean. What are your thoughts? Uh, my, well, I, I do have a question, um, but let me explain the question thoroughly first. Um, it is regarding sex education then for our children of today around uh, same-sex marriage if it is approved. Um, Clearly, in the New Testament, um, Jesus said, yes, uh, uh, you know, hate the sin, but love the sinner. So firstly, about, you know, um, uh, you know, educating the, the homosexuals, of course, by, you know, allowing them to be a part of the church. They're still, you know, people of, that God's made. But um, clearly, Jesus also spoke about that, um, that uh, the Father God had made there to be there was a curse a natural curse of diseases that came from uh being you know um gay and um so therefore when not only naturally medically scientifically um our you know trying to be as polite as i can our, our bottoms are for pooing and that's what comes out nothing goes in it comes out and you know uh, women's vaginas are for yep. for you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yep. So then, how do you, how, how are you going to make sense of that, um, for that to be okay? Uh, Billy Jean, let's hear from these leaders, and and uh, we'll just go, I'll get responses from each one. A brief response. Uh, start with Gordon Priest. Gordon, uh, on what Billy Jean was sharing, or even uh, those earlier callers, John mm-hmm. or Kate. Okay, I think um, in terms of. Yeah, some of the earlier callers. I think we need to be careful about using sort of um, demonic language um, and certainly certainly being careful not to demonise people. I think that's that's important um, and that we can we can disagree with people and we can disagree with their lifestyles, um, but I think we need to be careful about the sort of language that we, that we use in relationship to them. Um, I think uh, the link that was made, I think, between homosexuality and pedophilia, I think... Um, certainly the American Psychiatric Association, there are some, some groups within it who have actually pushed for um, pedophilia to be reclassified as not a disorder. And I have some real concerns about, about that. Um, I think um, there are some implications. If we make individual choice kind of an absolute, then I think like in the euthanasia issue, that ends up expanding and that inclu- can include a range of um, a range of ages. Now we can we can uh, choose to stop that at certain points, but there is a question of whether you do end up on some kind of slippery slope because the idea of autonomy is made so absolute 
that it can sort of um, yeah affect all all sorts of ages. So I think there's problems with that too. I think in terms of the the basic biology of sex, I think that's part of what I call our sexual ecology, and um, to put it bluntly, our bits fit. Um, but you know, there are different different people have a range of different forms of sexual expression. But um, I think there is a kind of fittingness about the male and female um, as as complementary to one another and as united with one another that I think is the basic kind of sexual ecology. um, And I think biology actually backs up the Bible in in terms of that. Um, And so I think that's that's probably enough for me about that. Alistair McRae from the Uniting Church, were there any issues from those callers uh, where we took their their thoughts? Was there something you'd like to comment on? There was a lot. A lot. there, I, th- I think it's. I don't think any anybody on this panel would dispute that uh, that, uh, that that some people are same sex attracted. Um, that that's just how they are. There's, a, there's apparently a certain percentage of us that, that are that way inclined. So, um, one of your callers at least seemed to uh, dispute that. So, but I think all most churches now would say, well, that's the way some people are. Um, and they'll react in uh, different ways to that. To that, um, and I, I also I, I'm re- I get really um, concerned with the sort of language that a lot of Christians uh, seem to use, uh, demonising homosexual people. Uh, that sort of language uh, it kills people. Uh, the the suicide rates amongst gay people uh, is really really high. And that that sort of language, I just think, has no place uh, coming out of the mouths of Christians because it is, it is, it is brutal and uh, and it's unfair and it 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 really does cause death. And let's hear from Ian Miller. Ian, do you have a comment on any of the issues that were raised by callers? Well, look, as you said, there's a number of things there. Um, look, just. Really, really, uh, almost like dot points. Um, uh, as to whether or not homosexuality is biological or environmental in its origin, um, I, honestly, I, I, you still have to deal with people, don't you? Yeah. Um, and hmm. so, uh, irrespective of whether it's choice or natural inclination, I mean, the reality is is that people have same-sex attraction. It's uh, how we as a church uh, respond to that. Um, I think that's probably a different issue to uh, the whole marriage debate. I mean, it's, it's a broader issue uh, together again as to what is the church's response to um, homosexuality. But I, I do think that there is the issue um, uh, with particular uh, reference to you know, consequences to freedom of religion, uh, rights of conscience, uh, rights of belief, rights of association, uh, the rights of parents to educate their children according to their own beliefs. Um, I think they, they are real issues uh, that need to be engaged upon. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Three guests with us this hour representing national church denominations, Gordon Priest, the Anglican Church, 
Alistair McRae, the Uniting Church in Australia, and Ian Miller, representing the National Executive of the CRC Churches International. Running a little short on time, gentlemen, and we might not be able to take any more calls, uh, let me just come to an important issue that's been raised uh, by a number of callers, this idea of consequences, uh, the things that might happen if uh, there is change. And most commentators I talk to say this is not a battle that we necessarily have have to lose. Uh, This is a very winnable battle, but in the event that there is any level of change, as has happened in some nations around the world, consequences follow. Uh, If I ask you first, uh, Gordon Priest, a quick response on consequences? Look, I think there are some real concerns about religious liberty. I I think there are concerns about just how we treat each other with the differences within the churches. So I think we need to be very careful about that, that we don't make um, either our heterosexism or homosexism or sexualism or our um, being pro or anti one or the other our defining point rather than being in Christ. I think that's absolutely fundamental. And I think... um, then in relationship to the state, I think there are real concerns about both liberties of clergy, um, but also in relationship to lay people. Um, there's been the sort of wedding cake issue in, it sounds trivial, but people who have basically lost their businesses over things like that of, of a, um, a cake um, where they're asked to write a message in support of gay marriage, for instance. Um, people getting fined up to $100,000. I think we need to work out non-coercive ways of mediation, both inside churches and um, outside churches in relationship to the state. Gordon, let's hear from uh, Alistair McRae. Alistair, just a 30-second comment uh, on these consequences. Sure. Um, I agree agree with Gordon. And if if the legislation does change, uh, I would really hope that that, uh, religious communities could still... um, uh, perform rights according to their their teachings and uh, and their the consciences of of their ministers. I agree with Gordon too that uh, uh, the conversation within and between churches uh, should be marked by um, by respect as we work our way uh, through these issues. And the other issue is um, that I know the Anglican primate has raised is 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 it time to consider whether uh, churches should um, should separate themselves from the uh, the state in terms of these are big questions. Uh, let me just give Ian Miller a very very quick response. Uh, Fifteen seconds. I'm sorry, Ian. Uh, there you go. Uh, so I'll say yes and amen to all of that. Um, but look, let's not be uh, dismayed when our world uh, expresses its non-Christian uh, perspective. Our role as citizens of another kingdom is to be ambassadors for Christ to promote the gospel, to get out there and share the love of God because he loves the whole world. He didn't send his son. Ian, I'm going to have to cut you short, but Ian Miller from CRC Churches International, Alistair McRae, the Uniting Church in Australia, and Gordon Priest representing the Anglican Church, thank you so much for your input today on 2020. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.